Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 11 to 24 this morning. Last week for the 4th of July, I preached a topical sermon on a biblical case for ADF and their defense of liberty. But the week before that, we began our study in Galatians and talked about how some missionaries from Jerusalem had apparently preached in Paul's churches in Galatia, telling them that people must obey the law of Moses and that the men must be circumcised in order to be saved. We find in the book of Acts that these missionaries were independent and were not sent out by the Jerusalem church leadership. Anyway, they, they, when they preached their false gospel in Antioch, where Paul was ministering, he confronted them publicly to their face and then sat down and wrote a harsh letter to his new churches in Galatia, who were being deceived by this false teaching. In chapter 1, verses 1 to 10, Paul told the Galatians that he was astonished that they were so quickly deserting the true gospel and being misled by some who were perverting the gospel. So serious was this issue that Paul said that anyone preaching a false gospel would be accursed or go to hell. Paul's enemies probably said that the reason Paul didn't require circumcision was because he knew how painful it would be, and Paul was just trying to win the approval of men. Paul insisted that he was not trying to please men, saying that he were just trying to please men, he would not be serving God. Actually, the Galatians should have known better anyway. After all, Paul did not change his message even after his life had been threatened, he had been run out of town, and had been stoned and left for dead in Galatia. If Paul was just trying to please people, he certainly had a strange way of doing it. And that brings us up to this morning. Let's start by reading verses 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds to your word this morning. Show us how your word through Paul, written so long ago, still applies to us today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Galatians are turning to another gospel a gospel of works righteousness. But Paul insisted that the gospel he preached to them came as a revelation to him from Jesus Christ himself. That explains why Paul was so harsh when he said that if anyone preached a different gospel, let them be accursed or go to hell. A different gospel would not be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if all we had was the book of Galatians, we wouldn't know when or how Paul received this revelation. He didn't have to explain it to the Galatians because he probably told them about it when he was there. We learn about it from the book of Acts. Paul first received this revelation on the road to Damascus when Jesus appeared to him and instantly changed the whole course of his life. As we will soon see, it wasn't until three years later that Paul first met with Peter and James. I'm sure they taught him a lot about Jesus' life and teachings, but Paul's point is that the initial revelation of the gospel 
did not come from any person, but from Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. Paul then gives kind of a personal testimony in verse 13, reminding the Galatians of his background. Paul writes, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. We learn more about this persecution in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8 says Saul, or Paul, quote, began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Acts 9 says that Paul was, quote, breathing out murderous threats, unquote, against Christians and went to Damascus to imprison them. In Acts 22, Paul says he persecuted Christians to their death. Acts 26 says Paul hunted them down in other foreign cities as well. And in 1 Timothy 1, Paul himself recalls that he was a violent man. With our American background, it's hard to relate to such intense persecution. But there are places like Pakistan or Nigeria or parts of India where the police may show up at a church, beat the people there, ransack the building, arrest the pastor and deacons, and either kill them or keep them in prison for years, in some cases before finally condemning them to death for blasphemy. That's the kind of things these early Christians were facing. And the main mover and shaker in all this persecution was Paul. Before he got saved, Paul was convinced that Jesus was not the Messiah, but was a false prophet and a blasphemer. The penalty for death was blasphemy in the Old Testament. So Paul may have seen himself like Phineas that we talked about in the book of Numbers, who killed the two idolaters who were having sex in the tabernacle. Or like Elijah, who killed the prophets of Baal. Paul sincerely believed that he was doing the right thing by persecuting Christians. But Jesus made clear to him, that Paul was sincerely wrong. Paul's zeal was not according to knowledge. In fact, Paul learned that by persecuting Christians, he was also persecuting Jesus. In verse 14, Paul continues his testimony, saying, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. From a human perspective, Paul had been doing great. He was known to the Jewish high council and was on the fast track to fame and success. Then suddenly his whole life changed. Verses 15 to 17 say, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult with any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. What Paul is basically saying here is that when Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul's first response was not to consult with any apostles, but to go into Arabia before returning to Damascus. Now, we know that Paul was in Damascus twice, and that he went to Arabia, and eventually ended up in Jerusalem. But the exact chronology of all this is a bit fuzzy. But by piecing together information from Galatians, 
Acts and 2 Corinthians, we can get a pretty good idea. If I were writing a novel about Paul's early life or early ministry, the basic outline of those early years would go something like this. After meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul continued on into Damascus as commanded by the Lord. In Damascus, he met with Ananias, who healed him. Paul undoubtedly told Ananias about the gospel Jesus had revealed to him. And based on Paul's acceptance of that gospel, Ananias baptized him. But Paul did not get his gospel from Ananias. After being baptized, Paul went to the synagogue and started preaching Jesus. Now, we don't know for sure, but I strongly suspect that Paul immediately received strong opposition and questions from the rabbis that he probably couldn't answer. So Paul probably only stayed a few days in Damascus before heading south to Arabia, probably the city of Petra, which was the capital of the Nabataean kingdom of Arabia. He spent three years in Arabia, pouring through the Old Testament and rethinking his theology in light of his new commitment to Jesus Christ. But I don't think Paul could keep quiet about Jesus, so I'm sure he shared his faith in Jesus there too, but maybe not quite so publicly. Still, I can't help thinking that his gospel may have caused enough trouble to come to the attention of King Aretas, whose capital was Petra. After three years, Paul returned to Damascus and began publicly preaching Jesus again. But this time, Paul was prepared for objections by his opponents. When Paul's opponents found they could no longer defeat him in debate, they stirred up the people and sought to kill him. Word of this unrest reached the ears of King Aretas, who ruled Arabia, including both Petra and Damascus. Aretas was probably tired of this troublemaker, so according to 2 Corinthians 11.32, King Aretas had the Damascus city gates guarded to catch Paul in case he tried to escape the city. According to both Acts and 2 Corinthians, the Christians then put Paul in a basket and led him down over the walls of Damascus so he could escape. Paul's testimony continues in verses 18 through 20, saying, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God, that what I am writing to you is no lie. When Paul says after three years, he means after three years after his conversion. And when he talks about Cephas, he's of course talking about Peter. Now we have to back up and put all this in perspective. The Galatians had been taught a false gospel. So Paul is telling him that the gospel he preached to them was not a man-made invention. He didn't get it from any man on earth. In fact, Paul tells them that he didn't even see any apostles until three years after Jesus had revealed his gospel to him. And even then, he only saw Peter and James, the Lord's half-brother. Now, we can be sure that Peter, James, and Paul did not just sit around for two weeks talking about the weather. I'm sure Peter and James talked Paul a lot about Jesus and his teaching. But Paul's point was that his initial reception of the gospel did not come from Peter or James or anyone else. It came from Jesus himself. After his time in Jerusalem with Peter and James, Paul was once again run out of town by his opponents for preaching Jesus. 
Paul says in verses 21 to 24, Then I went to Syria and Cilicia, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. The disciples took Paul down to the seaport of Caesarea on the Mediterranean Sea, put him on a ship, which apparently stopped off in Syria before heading back to his hometown in Tarsus, which was in the province of Cilicia. In verse 21, Paul says that he was personally unknown to the churches of Judea. But how could they not know him? He had been persecuting them intensely. What Paul means is they did not know him personally. The implication was that he did not get his gospel from any of those churches either. All they knew is the one who had persecuted them was now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. The big point of this passage this morning is really pretty simple. The false teachers had been preaching a false doctrine of salvation in Galatia. And Paul wants them to know that the gospel he preached to them did not come from any churches like the ones in Judea or Jerusalem, and that his gospel did not come from any church leaders like Peter or James. Although they certainly confirmed the truth of Paul's gospel, his gospel did not initially come from them. Paul's gospel was first revealed to him by Jesus himself. The implication was that if the Galatians reject the gospel Paul preached, they would be rejecting the gospel that Jesus himself had revealed. And that is the point of the passage. But there are some other tangent lessons we can learn as well. First, I want you to notice all the persecution going on here. The early believers in Jerusalem, Damascus, and other cities were being arrested, imprisoned, and even sentenced to death. When Paul became a Christian, hatred against Paul became so intense that he had to flee for his life from Damascus and then from Jerusalem. That was just the beginning of Paul's trials. Now, I know this is one of my hobby horses that I keep coming back to, but do not be misled by false prosperity gospel heresy, the idea that if you just have enough faith and give enough money to someone's ministry, God will make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. It certainly didn't turn out that way for Paul and for many early Christians. I've sometimes written on the back of our bulletins, Faith in Jesus does not guarantee freedom from trouble or tragedy in this life. In fact, it may sometimes make life harder. But it does give forgiveness of sins, peace and fellowship with God, a purpose for living, a sense of stability in a turbulent world, and a bright hope for life after death. Second, Paul was on the fast track to success. He had been educated by a very prominent rabbi named Gamaliel. And Paul was even known and respected by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high council, by the high priest himself. Kind of like being known and respected by our Supreme Court justices. Paul had even had everything to lose and nothing to gain by becoming a Christian. But then, out of the blue, Paul suddenly and radically became changed. Almost overnight, 
He went from being a very successful upcoming rabbi who hated Christianity to someone who was willing to suffer any hardship to tell others about Jesus. As Paul says in verse 23, they only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. So what could explain such a sudden radical change? This would like be like the Pope suddenly becoming Baptist or like Hillary Clinton suddenly becoming a Trump supporter. That just doesn't happen. That would have to be, there would have to be a pretty strong explanation. Paul's own testimony in verses 15 and 16 is that Jesus Christ was revealed to him and in him. Now, critics, of course, will say that Paul just suffered some kind of hallucination on the road to Damascus and, or maybe some kind of heat stroke. But as I've pointed out many times before, according to the book of Acts, which can be demonstrated to be historically accurate, those who were accompanying Paul also saw the blinding light and heard the voice. They just didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Whatever happened, it wasn't just going on inside of Paul's head. Then in verse 20, Paul says, I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. In other words, Paul is swearing before God that he is telling the truth. Now, there are many people today, of course, who would swear to God they are telling the truth and then lie through their teeth. But Paul is not a 21st century American. A first century Pharisee like Paul, who was as zealous for the law of Moses as Paul was, would literally rather die than to lie under oath before God. Paul's encounter with Jesus and the confirmation he received from the eyewitnesses were so convincing to him that he was willing to suffer hunger, thirst, shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonment, and ultimately death for Jesus. Now, Paul's testimony is certainly not the only evidence we have for Jesus' resurrection, but it's convincing all by itself. After all, people believe all kinds of things based on much less evidence than this. In fact, I'm pretty sure people have been put to death in this country based on much less evidence than this. Finally, in verses 15 and 16, Paul says that God was pleased to reveal his son in me. Now, it's surprising that Paul talks about how God revealed his son in him rather than to him. Although God certainly did reveal his son to Paul, he also revealed himself in Paul in the sense that that revelation penetrated Paul's heart and it changed him, transforming him from darkness to light. Paul's meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus was not only a calling to evangelize the Gentiles, it was also a conversion. It was the Holy Spirit coming in and changing Paul's heart. This idea of a change of heart is as old as the Old Testament. Moses, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel all talked about circumcising the foreskin of your heart, which was a figurative way of telling them to put off their old, stubborn, stiff-necked self and love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, as it says in Deuteronomy 6. In fact, in Ezekiel 36, God promised that one day he would remove their heart of stone and put his spirit within them, giving them a new heart. Having a new heart is to have new affections, a new love for God and hatred of sin. 
The New Testament calls this being born again. That's what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. God changed his heart. Almost overnight, he went from being a persecutor of Christians to one of Christianity's strongest proponents. In the New Testament, the word repent means to have a change of heart of mind or a change of heart. When Jesus or Peter or Paul called people to repent, they were calling people to change their hearts from rebelling against God to a new heart of loving devotion to God. Now, for the sake of the younger kids here, when we talk about changing our heart or giving our heart to Jesus or asking Jesus to come into our heart, we're not talking about the heart in your chest. We're talking about love and devotion. For example, if you tell someone, I will always have you in my heart, it means I will always love you. To change your heart or to ask Jesus to come into your heart is really just another way of saying, stop loving other stuff more than you love the Lord and love the Lord more than you love anything else. Do you? Let's pray. Lord, while we were yet sinners, you came to this earth and willingly submitted yourself to torture on a Roman cross for us and in our place. Help us to better comprehend the magnitude of your love for us and help us to grow in our love for you. Be the king and ruler of our life. Amen.